Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today we are chatting with four-time Olympic basketballer Lauren Jackson. On the perimeter, three on the clock. Jackson, got it! Three-pointer Lauren Jackson tied up with 1.1. And we're heading to overtime. Big-time player and a big-time shot. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really like to start the conversations by asking what your proudest moment in your basketball career was? Oh, in my basketball career? Um, look, I, you know, I get asked this question a lot and truly I feel like it was, for me, it was the journey. Like if the journey on that team was a good journey, then that to me defines success. Like I think that um, definitely won a lot of championships and, and you know, had a lot of fun along the way, but I think um, the teams and the people that I met and the relationships I had definitely made those moments way more special. So, um, you know, the 2006 uh, World Cup was the gold medal was really special, Um, just a great group of girls, uh, you know, in the prime of our career. And then 2010, probably because that was my last fit, healthy year in the WNBA, that was a really special career moment as well and I think probably as an individual um, accolade I'd say probably being a flag bearer for Australia in 2012 that was something that was completely out of left field and I um, never imagined that I'd have such an honour but yeah that was super special. You were kind of pretty much born to be a basketballer right like your parents are basketballers you were doing Mm -hmm. it from a super young age what age did you make the Australian team was it 16? Um, I made my first Australian squad when I was 15 years old. 15. So I was in a squad of like 16 or 20 athletes when I was 15 and then my first team when I was 16, yeah. And did you feel like that's all you were aiming for? Like was that from when you were very young you were just kind of pretty set that that's the path you wanted to take? Yeah, look, I um, I was really fortunate because I think having two parents that had represented Australia and played over in America and um, at college and done that stuff, I when I said I wanted to play for Australia, it was never out of, you know, like it's not a dream that, you know, was never unreachable. Mm. Um, and, you know, I used to love the NBA. There was no real visibility of women's basketball back then. Um, there was ABC games of WNBL, but I really loved the NBA. And I followed, you know, Michael Jordan and his his team, the Bulls. So I always wanted to be the first woman in the NBA. And um, and I, mum and dad never said, no, that'll never happen because you're a girl. Mm. Um, and then by the time I was sort of 15 or 16, the WNBA had come along as well, which meant that, you know, I, my aspirations could one day be something special. So, mm. yeah, I, I it was my path. I definitely thought that I would be a basketball player and, um, you know, I had the highs and lows as a junior. I missed out on teams. I uh, had my ego trampled on a fair bit, there's no doubt. Um, but, you know, you just got to pick yourself back up and move on and I did and, yeah, I got very tall very quickly and yeah. that definitely helped. Yeah, because you – well, sorry, what – Coming from someone who's 169 centimetres tall, which is, a, it's, you know, slightly above average for, the, for a woman. Yeah. How tall are you? I'm six foot six, so I'm um, 196 centimetres. Yeah, right. Because I stopped growing at 13. <laughs> when did you stop growing? <laughs> 
I stopped growing about, um, I reckon I was, I probably stopped growing about 16 or 17. Um, so you were that height yeah. at 16, 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was at the Institute at that point, thank God. Um, I think the AIS definitely um, was just one of those critical moments in my development because, look, I was picked on something fierce at school. Yeah. You know, I was really awkward, tall, skinny, just you know, normal kid bullying stuff, but I, I definitely copped it my whole life just for being so so tall. And um, when I went to the AIS, the first day I walked in there with, you know, big tall rowers and, the you know, the male swimmers are all really big mm. and um, who else, like netballers and other just other athletes. I felt like I was home. I felt mm. like I belonged, whereas I'd never felt like I belonged my whole life, like at school or anywhere like that. So, yeah. It's so interesting that you talk about that because I, I recently went to an Australian rowing camp and, you know, I've been out of the sport for, well, I've been out of sport for eight years now, but to go and be amongst other female athletes who are just, you know, mm-hmm. tall and strong, it, it is a real sense of belonging. Um, you don't yeah. feel like you're different. I mean, <laughs> I don't look like that anymore. <laughs> I'm not as fit as I once was, but like to be, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, But to be amongst those elite athletes, it's, it's really remarkable. So I can imagine at, you know, 16, 17, when you've been so different, like you just look different from normal kids, um, it must've felt very comforting to be amongst other peers that looked like you. It, it was, it really was just a really great moment, defining moment for me, walking into the halls of residence and just, yeah, being around other athletes. So I, I got to wear tracksuit pants everywhere and I still wear tracksuit pants everywhere, but, <laughs> um, you know, I just felt comfortable and I felt I was who who I was supposed to be. And, I mean, even to this day, I mean, it hasn't changed now. I've been an athlete, we've, you know, had our careers and everything, but, I you know, I still feel very much comfortable in my own skin. Mm. And so when you were competing, you know, when you got selected to go and compete in the WNBA and um, be a part of that system, did you have to think at all or did you think at all about life after sport? I I had moments, you know, I, I'd get an injury and then I'd go and pick up a, a class or study a little bit, you know, because some of the injuries that I got, particularly when I were young, was younger, people didn't think if I, I I would be able to come back from them. So I had this like one particular injury in my shin bone and it was like this horrible fracture in the in the front of my shin and it was like a V into oh. my bone. And, um, you know, they were talking career-ending fracture, this, that and the other. And How I, old you were know, you I got, at that stage? You know, 20, uh, we've been about 24, 25, I think. Mm. So, I mean, I had a few injuries like that. You know, I had surgery on my ankle and my um, my shoulder before that. But, you know, I'd pick up just classes and I was a really, I wasn't a very good student, like in a classroom. So I really struggled to learn in a classroom environment and stuff. So I started when learning online became a thing. I actually um, found that that was something that I could do really well and which was awesome because, you know, by 2010 I enrolled at university and started getting my Bachelor of Gender and Diversity and um and, yeah, I haven't stopped studying. I'm still doing postgraduate degrees and masters and things now. So um, it's a lot easier for me to learn this way. So, mm. And so you always had this idea that you needed to prepare for life after sport or you, it wasn't I like did. an intentional thing? It was like just more of a distraction or? 
Look, when I was younger, I think it was something that, you know, I thought was a real possibility because of the injuries. So that's why I sort of thought, no, I need to, because I really, I failed at high school. So that was my point, actually. I um, didn't um, pass my HSC, failed miserably, missed like 130 classes in year 12 or something and just didn't care because all all I wanted to do was play basketball. And, um, yeah, when the possibility that I couldn't play again came along, I was like, oh, crap, I have no idea you know what I would want to be what I'm passionate about I have no idea whatsoever Mm. and two the other like I was very I was quite ignorant too as an athlete like I feel like I was sort of thrust into being professional basketball player in this life which I was completely not ready for and I feel like I just I wasn't worldly enough I wasn't experienced enough to fully understand the world around me and I really struggled with that for many, many years until it sort of reached boiling point, I think around 2008, 2009, and I was just in a hole, you know, a real hole. Um, I was on antidepressants and just lost so much weight and I just could not, I was really struggling to look at myself in the mirror and, um, yeah, I mean, I got myself out of it through studying, I think, through um, just taking my focus off me and putting it into the books and into just learning about life and the world. What do you feel like triggered that sort of low? Like, was it injury or was it not performing on the on the court? No, it was an injury, um, and I was like, I was sort of in my best years at, at that time on the court. So it wasn't. It was weird. I think I'd been traveling a lot. I'd been playing a lot of basketball overseas, and. For me, home has always been um, just so grounding for me and being back, you know, in the country with my family, with people that I trust and love, that has always been the most settling, important thing for me. So I think being away for a really long, like I think I've been away for about two years. I might have gone home for about two weeks in between a season here or there. But And I just, you know, uh, my personal life was turning to crap. You know, I I was in a pretty nasty relationship and things were just ugly. Like my life I just felt was spiralling out of control. You know, I wasn't taking good care of myself physically or mentally. I was just playing basketball and, yeah, I just really wasn't investing in myself the way that I should have been and, um, you know, a few realities hit home and that was it. I I just really... uh, yeah, it was my rock bottom, rock bottom for sure, and I had to sort of get out of that pretty quickly. Yeah. And how did you – obviously you started studying and you went on to some antidepressants. Was, were there other steps that you were taking to kind of help climb out of that low? No. I um, So that was 2008, so that would have been Beijing, um, and then I had surgery straight after. I remember getting home from Beijing and my parents picked me up from the airport and I couldn't speak. Like I was that just – done I um, could not speak to them and I think they got really just worried about me and my mental state and that's when like I realized I needed to get help but um, people don't talk about this stuff like back then people did not talk about this stuff, especially back then and especially as athletes (laughs) yeah so didn't talk about you know our vulnerabilities didn't want people to think that you know there was something well I didn't want anyone to think there was something wrong with me but my parents knew because they could see it and I couldn't talk to them I all I wanted to say to them was like I love you you know thank you just whatever but I couldn't even like the words would not come out so you know they sort of helped me through that period um it took for me to actually open up and speak it took probably like two or three weeks you know and um then I had to have surgery and fly back to America and so that next sort of six months or so was just brutal. Yeah. Like um, I had to, 
I went from America back to Russia and um, brutal, brutal, just struggled through it. I don't even, it was all a fog, you know, to be honest. I don't even remember how I got through it. And then I ended up fracturing my back in the WNBA season that year, 2009, oh, yeah. and I had to come back to Australia and rehab and that's when things got on track. That's when, you know, being home, being back in Canberra and close to my parents, um, studying, just got my life right again. I just really took time to focus on myself and um, the people that I care about and love and I guess just get back to the things that were really important to me. Do you, because you, I mean, you had so many injuries. <laughs> like, there, yeah, there was so, do you feel frustrated that your career was kind of just littered with injuries or do you feel grateful for those experiences? I mean, probably you do. I'm not grateful. Not, not grateful. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> probably not grateful, but. Um, but they teach you, well, they I'm teach you things, but you know, it's, it, it's a shit show to, to try yeah, and work through show. and like mentally come back every time after an injury. You know, looking back over my career, I definitely would have liked to have not had the injuries that I had, but I think I can only, uh, you know, you think about the things that you would have done differently and um, the steps that you would have taken. And, I, I mean, I could have, when I was younger, I could have, like I said, treated my body better. I, um, you know, I was going back-to-back seasons. I could have just taken six months off and not focus so much on making money or, you know, all of those things. And would I have been happier right now if I'd have done those things? Probably not. I'd probably still be miserable and playing basketball, which, you know, I, I was very successful. I love my career. I love what basketball did for me as, a, as an athlete, as a person, and the resilience it's given me today. But um, but I am, I'm much happier. I know I'm much stronger now than I ever was as an athlete. And a lot of lessons came out of it. I learned a lot. And I, I feel so much stronger now than I ever have been. So the injuries, yeah, they, they cost me a lot, especially in the end. They were painful. They hurt. Um, my mental state definitely struggled. You yeah. know, I, it was a lot of the medications that I was on too to try and get through all of that. Um, there wasn't a lot of education around that stuff at that point in time either. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know, I just sort of shrugged my shoulders. I there's a lot of things I wish I could have taken back, but um, at the end of the day, I don't think they would have made me any happier today. I'm, I'm the person I am today because of those experiences. When you, because you made the decision to retire, it was just before Rio, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that was kind of the announcement anyway. What was that yep. process like? Because it was a number of years of injury and trying to come back an injury mm. and trying to come back and then obviously you felt like it, it just wasn't possible at that stage. But what was that kind of process of thinking like and how did it feel once you actually made the decision to announce it? Well, my see, I hurt my knee in 2014 in China and um, I came back, had it operated on, and then I re-injured it straight away again, um, trying to train. And I ended up having like 14 operations on my knee between 2014 and 2016 when I retired. Wow. So I think I probably played a few games in there, but nothing. I was never back to my best again. So I had the 14 operations, came back for my very last chance with the Canberra Capitals in December 2015. I had like a 20 or 30-minute scheduled on-court sort of training with a team. 
I remember it finishing and my knee was burning, like absolutely burning and it blew up straight away and I knew something had happened. And I went back to the doctor, he went back in and I'd torn my ACL um, just in that year because it was just mush anyway, you know. So um, Just mush. <laughs> it was. It just been, I think it just been operated on that many times. And then um, Basketball Australia had said, look, we will help you try and get back from this. Like you've got six months to get back for Rio. Mm. Um, we'll do whatever we can to support you through it. And I went and got a leg wax six weeks after I had the ACL and I got a staph infection in my knee back in hospital. um, From a leg wax. (laughs) A leg wax. So do you think I've ever been waxed again? (laughs) No. Never again. Um, So that was it. A leg wax cost me my career. Wow. After all of that, Um, (laughs) it came down to bloody fashion. (laughs) The things we do for fashion. (laughs) I know, I know. I just wanted to feel good about my body and, I, you know, go and get a bit of a wax and there you go, there goes my Olympic dreams. But um, I know it was random, it was completely random. So, it, you know, up until that period, uh, again, I sort of go back to the medications and everything, but I was on so many, like, yeah. different drugs. Um, and I had been for two years and my brain was just, uh, I don't know, like, how I felt. I remember saying to the doctors, you're going to have to tell me to retire because I can't actually bring myself to say I'm retiring right now. Yeah. Like, and so they did. They um, they said, right, well, we'll do it on this day. So I knew it was coming. We were sitting in a room at the AIS uh, in the gym and um, the people that had supported me through thick and thin, like my trainers, my physios, and, yeah, they just said, look, this is it. You're done and, you know, good luck. Off you go. And I remember... I felt relief immediately because I all of a sudden I did not have to train mm. or try and so that that happened and then it was just despair like what am I going to do now and you know you're laying in bed and you've got nothing to get out of bed for and um you know trying to sort of throw myself into other things really quickly which was stupid I just had no idea which way I was going to go or what I was going to do next and and then, uh, yeah, I got a call out of the blue within a day or two from um, a WNBL team uh, in Melbourne who asked me to do some work with them. And, I mean, I think that at least gave me something to sort of look forward to. They gave me a few months to sort of prepare myself and just, you know, get get over my whole career. And um, so, yeah, I, I jumped into that fairly quickly and kept studying and, yeah, basically took every opportunity I could get to upskill and, life is has never been better. Mm. It's interesting because I kind of felt the same way around retirement because I had retired, come back to go to London and then had a no not an injury like you've had, but I had a catastrophic wrist injury which kind yeah. of forced my hand into retirement and I'm actually kind of quite grateful that it did because I don't know that I would have been able to retire again yeah. because I was really scared of what that meant yeah. and what that looked like and who mm. I was going to be outside of the sport. Have you ever, through this process since you've retired, felt like you've had to redefine yourself or because you've gone into basketball administration, you've kind of felt like it's just progressed gradually and and it's been a nice transition oh I mean I wouldn't say it's been a nice transition like there's been moments 
where it's been completely frustrating and frightening, you know, just real world stuff like being pregnant and you're, uh, I mean, there's stuff that I can't really like actually say, but like there were, there was stuff that, you know, definitely were frightening. And I was like, well, how am I going to feed my kids if I don't have a job? You know, like this is what we do. We we're you know, we're parents and we care, like our kids are everything. And um, so I've definitely had moments that have been crazy. Um, Look, I ended up having uh, Harry in 2017, which I think you and I sat on that panel together yeah. um, for SBS, and that was just the greatest moment in my life. Like the first minute I saw him, I knew that this is, you know, I should have just had a baby when I was 17 and life would have been a hell of a lot wow. easier. No, I say that, I that was very flippant. But um, honestly, like as soon as I saw my child, I was like, oh, my God, you're everything. And I went through that. I was you know, on cloud nine, just living this perfect life for about four months. And then my parents had an absolutely shocking car accident. Oh, my um, goodness. Probably only a month or two after SBS over on the south coast. And uh, my mother was almost killed. Oh, so, you know, for anybody that knows me, they know that my mum is just like my best friend. And so when that happened, that just rocked, you know, our worlds completely. And she was in hospital for about eight weeks or so and then um, had to move back to Aubrey they did for her rehab and everything but it's been great because she's there right next door to us now and she's you know recovering and dad's recovering and everything but that was a really hard period of time um and she's as strong as an ox but that was shocking um and then yeah just you know job opportunities like every uh I took an opportunity with the Canberra ACT government for a little while and did some project officer work um, where I was just commuting from Aubrey to Canberra for three days a week doing that. It has not been easy at all, but I feel like because we've started so late, I started at 36 just in this business world that I've had to sort of try and make up for lost time and, you know, like I said, postgraduate work um, in business, trying to upskill. Um, it's frustrating definitely trying to define yourself, but you learn every day and I've got great people around me now. I've got a great boss who's really supportive and sort of has shown me the ropes for the last two years with Basketball Australia and, yeah, I'm just trying to put myself in the best position to be able to take care of my kids and have so they have like a really strong female role model in their life, you know. What are you passionate about? Like in, you know, because so, there's so many options for athletes to go into, especially high profile ones like yourself, you know, to go into media and to go into whatever you kind of, not whatever you kind of want, but there are lots of opportunities. So how did you make the choice of going into administration and more of that sort of sporting behind the scenes role? Um, Well, look, I, I always had a lot of anxiety about being in public public space so look I still do media and things like that when they pop up but it's not something that I wanted to do full-time um, and that I felt comfortable doing it. it's not one of my strengths and I, I do want to you know continue helping the sport drive forward and especially with the rise of women's sport I feel like you know damn I wish I could have just lasted 10 more years because mm. how cool is it at the moment it's amazing um, mm, it is incredible but you know basketball I think um, hasn't it hasn't sort of done as well as the other sports. So for me, it's about trying to um, just give back to the sport, try and raise the profile and, and try and get it into a better situation um, than what it has been in. So and we, are, we are doing that. It's baby steps and it's women's sport. You know, we're supporting ourselves and we've, we're really, you sort of got to claw and scratch for every single dollar that you get. But um, 
it's worth it because, you know, it's, it's about the next generation. What do you feel like you have taken from your experience in sport and taken into the business world and the business side of it? For, for me personally, I think I touched on this before, but I think just it would take a lot to rock me now. You know what I mean? I think not having the emotional roller coaster of sport, it takes a lot to really um, bring me down. Yeah. It's a different world when you're not an athlete. You don't have all that pressure of being the sort of go-to athlete. I literally just have to do my job. Mm. So I feel like I'm a lot more resilient. I can handle a lot more stuff than you know, than I would have been able to if I wasn't an athlete. I think being an athlete gives you the platform um, to be able to have conversations, hard conversations with people um, and not take it personally because you've had coaches yelling at you your whole life. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you've, you've been on teams with people that you don't like, you know, but you've had to play with them and you have to respect them. And so there's skills that, you know, people they don't just have them, like yeah. they learn and they're taught and, you know, working with people and stakeholder engagement, all of that stuff is stuff that we did on a daily basis that, you know, it's so critical in business. And, yeah, I think I don't think athletes get enough props for, for the way that they're able to handle those situations. But I've definitely found that, that that side of things comes really naturally to me, working with people and um, talking to people and just developing those relationships because you do it. We've done it our whole lives. Yeah, I, that's an interesting point that you make, you make because I think you have to kind of just get on with people because you're traveling with them for you for weeks, yeah. months, years at a time. Like you're having to like just not put up with them, but like you said, be around these people, respect them, and then work with them because you're part of this team and you you have this vision to achieve something. That's the I think the biggest thing for me is just being able to sort of be that person in business. It's really cool. Like it's it's actually fun knowing that I am really resilient and strong because of my experiences as being of being an athlete. And I think that um, also it's one of the highlights getting out of that career where I felt like I was so just, I felt like it, I, it was so hard to breathe sometimes. You know, I really especially toward the end, it was a real struggle just to get out of bed sometimes. And now I'm really thankful that I had those experiences and I had those emotions and those thoughts and everything that I had to go through to get to a point as a 40-year-old today where you can say what you like, you can do what you like, but you're not going to bother me, mate. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah. you know. So, yeah. How do you define success now? Because I think as, you know, when you are competing, it's so clear, like it's so obvious, it's black and white, it's you make this team, you win this game, you make this shot, like the very tangible moments of success. Um, and I know that for me that's been one of the hardest things to kind of translate into the real world because the real world's so gray like it's not black and white it's yeah. like oh yeah you can you can do that or you can do this and yeah you can maybe try that it's it's like you, there's not really solid goals that you're working towards yeah. how do you how have you made that translation or ha have you not really missed having solid goals um I I guess I have like small goals you know at work and stuff like just little milestones and things that I work toward but you know, as an athlete, um, I really found the roller coaster 
so difficult to deal mm. with. And I think that probably also contributed to my mental health and well-being was that, you know, one day you could be up here, like winning a championship, and then two weeks later you could come fifth in a world championship, mm. you know. And the highs and lows absolutely killed me, you know. And um, I suppose for me it's about stability and just equilibrium, like just a nice state. That, and I, I need that. I have satisfaction in my family, my kids. I'm not saying it's always rosy because, you know, when I had my second son, I, I really struggled with him for, you know, with him. I struggled with myself. Mm. Um, just it wasn't as easy as having my first child. And it took me a long time to sort of get back to feeling normal again and feeling positive and, and like this state, this state that I'm in. But it is about maintaining just being positive and waking up happy and thankful and the mm. gratitude that I have just to be here today with the with the kids, with my parents. Um, so it's not it's not about goals anymore for me and I don't have ambitions of, you know, like anything. I'm not I don't want you don't want to anything run basketball Australia or anything like that. I mean, if I was asked to, I'd give it a crack, but yeah. I have to be right for it, right? Mm. But that's not the point. Like I'm not, I. it's not about that. I want my kids to be so happy. Like I want to have the same holidays as them. I want to be able to, I just want to wake up and feel that sense of calm because I never had that as an athlete. I either woke up happy or sad. Mm. There was nothing in between. <laughs> and so I, I don't miss it that much. Yeah, and, and the milestones are they're great and everything, but they don't define me. It's it's just about what I what makes me happy at this point, or not even happy, just what makes me calm. Mm. You know, that's I find that really fascinating because a, a lot of athletes that I've spoken to do miss the highs, but I I mm. think you're it, it's interesting when you 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 were just talking, I, I really responded to the lows because there are such low like. Inevitably, as an athlete, when you have those huge highs, which we we all do, we're you know we're all working towards whether it's as an Olympic athlete working towards every four years or every year or every championship. Yeah. Inevitably, you come off that high, and you know there's always the the post Olympic blues or mm-hmm. whatever the post competition um, down depressed period that we all have. And yeah, yeah it's it's really fascinating how you describe that and how you're actually enjoying the calmness. (laughs) Well, I always wanted that too as an athlete. Like when the people that were closest to me, I don't have a great big group of friends. I've got like a pretty tight-knit crew and um, like I think they they saw the erratic and then the, the very down and desperate as well and I've always said that I just want calm. Like I just want the calm and because of who I was as a basketball player, I was so good. I was a great basketball player. Um, that when think, I was on team, different. Do you think mm-hmm. the intensity of the emotions helped you be a better basketball player as well? Yeah, I think being uh, like basketball was sort of my safe place. You know, it, it sort of got me away from those emotions. So when I whenever I stepped forward on a basketball court, I I just went into a different place. You got you zone out. Nothing else matters, right? Just winning games and. Maybe it was my safe place. I loved it. Um, but it was when you got off the court and you're in a different country dealing with different issues, different languages, different cultures, different people. That was the stuff that I struggled with and I, it, it was too hard, you know. But I always maintain that when I'm even, when I'm even, I'm good. Mm. You know, I always have been. It's just 
yeah, the highs and the lows, are, they, they were really, they were too hard for me. I just want, I just want even. Mm. Um, it's good. Well, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you manage your mental health now? Because I think it's something that is, is, is being spoken about a lot more in our society these days. And I think people are always looking for ways to help bring that mindfulness and that calm and that presence or whatever words you want to use around that and that language. But like, how do you manage that now? Especially with, you know, working and two small boys, like mm-hmm. there's, you have a lot on your plate still. I do, but I'm a single mom. So I don't, I don't really, I don't have another person that I have to be, you know, taking care of. I've got my two kids and, you know, they go to bed at seven o'clock and, yeah, we, you know, we've got the perfect life, you know. I, I they go to school or daycare, and and then I get to work and everything. I'm we're not traveling anymore. I've got time. Um, I think the it does become hard when I do have to travel, but just I think the mental health part is for me. Like I think a lot of it is just learnt. You know, even as a kid when I was dealing with anxiety around traveling, I really struggled with that stuff as a as a youngster. Um, flying. I've, always hated flying and mm. you know I'd get myself worked up to a point where I could not breathe like wow. I would cry myself stupid yeah as a kid like this was with the Australian team I would cry my eyes out before getting setting foot on an airplane and I just had to deal with it I had to just cope with it and um and that became my strategy and that probably wasn't the best strategy I think moving forward and it did all catch up with me eventually obviously mm. now I I guess I've got different things to focus on. I've got different um, things that are important to me. It's not about myself anymore. It's about my kids. Everything that I do is so that they're happy and comfortable. And I, I feel like that's been a real big factor in in my um, my way forward. I think just knowing that I've got these two little lives that I'm responsible for and it's everything to me. You know, it's mm. just the greatest privilege. So. Yeah, I think when you come from that kind of athlete bubble where everything is focused on this one goal, it's really hard to see or have that perspective. And then once you come into real life and then particularly coming into parenthood, you really do gain a huge amount of perspective of of what what is actually important. Mm. And especially with having your mum, you know, so seriously injured and, you know, in the yeah. in the car accident, I imagine that you just kind of are able to focus once again on the priorities. Yeah, the kids have definitely changed my whole way of thinking and you know, I was always searching for something as an athlete. I was always I always felt like I wasn't complete or I wasn't fully there or I was just missing something, you know, and I put it down to just being young and everything. But the minute, like I said before, the minute I saw Harry, you know, I knew straight away like that was my, I don't know, I can't even really explain it, articulate it right, but that he was everything. The minute mm. I saw him, I knew I was right. I knew everything was going to be okay. Wow. That's that's so, I mean, it's remarkable to have that experience, especially so quickly into the yes. parenting experience. Mm. How do you deal though? Because Harry is four now. He's four, yeah. And your little one is two? Lenny, Lennon, yeah, little, my little rock star Lennon. He's going to be something special. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but- 
how do you? Because like I, I probably didn't have the experience that you had. I loved my girls from the minute that they were born, but I, it was a bit more traumatic for me in the introduction into parenthood because I found that quite a difficult transition. But um, having gone through postnatal depression and sleep deprivation and all of those things, it does give you more perspective yeah. and, and lessons that you learn. But how do you deal with them when they're just being jerks? Like or <laughs> are your boys magical unicorns who are never jerks? I wish. <laughs> Why they are, they do, they, they're little boys, you know, yeah. they're rat bags. Oh, a lot of the time I laugh, I end up laughing at Lenny because he just picks on my my four-year-old, the eldest one. Um, Lenny he picks on them. Incredibly, <laughs> he's intelligent, he's smart, he's funny and he's really big, like mm. he's a solid boy. You know, he's, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever worry too much about him. Like I think he's always going to be. He'll always be right. Um, but I, I just send them to their rooms. Yeah. Like they know they've got a big mama. They don't, they don't mess with <laughs> me too much. Um, you know, when I get, they don't like seeing me mad. Um, but, and, but they're beautiful kids. Like they're so loving and, you know, one minute they could be screaming and carrying on the next minute. They're kissing me and cuddling me and telling me they love me. And um, I got hit with my first, I don't like you, mum, this morning. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I mean, he's four. I'm lucky I got this far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he apologized to within about, I don't know, three minutes. Oh, um, bless. I told him I wasn't giving him any chocolate for lunch. So, anyway. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Jerk, mum. <laughs> I know. So, I do. It does get hard. It does get taxing. But um, I think it's harder too when I've got like friends here and they're like playing up for, for friends. Like, we're in a pretty good routine at mm. home. Um, but then when other people come, they just they turn into something completely different and that, you know, that's sort of hard for me. Um, mm. I like routine and they like routine as well. Yeah, it's that consistency that I've, I feel creates a lot of calm for me now as a parent. It, it is. Yeah, it is. It so is. And, and you know, you've got your crazy aunt that comes in and it's that consistency just flies out the door and the kids go bananas and that's hard. Mm. Mm. And as a, as a single parent, do you find it hard to not have downtime or is it kind of better to not be able to have to um, worry about <laughs> other people's opinions? <laughs> it's, I'm really, I'm in a really good situation because I get to work from home. Mm. So, you know, once I drop the kids off to daycare, I get to work and I'm at home, I can get stuff ready for dinner. I can, you know, like my lunch break, I can do the washing. So I don't really, I'm not pressured for time, like in the sense that if I had to go to work and then rush back, pick the kids up, you know. Mm. So it has been a much less stressful sort of existence, you know, with being able to work from home and everything. So it's made it a lot easier for me. Mm. And like you said before, it's that consistency and that routine. It's just um, we've got a pretty good routine down. I know when they're going to go to bed. I know when I've got time to study. I know when I've got time to catch up on work. And then mum and dad live next door. So over a weekend, you know, if they don't want to just watch a movie and hang out, they can go and garden with them pop. They can do whatever they want. Like they're, they're lucky, you know, they've got their family all around. Mm. That's beautiful. That's such a nice, you've created the world that you want and the life that you want. I have, I have. And, you know, um, 
I touch wood, touch wood saying that because in the next breath something could happen that completely devastates that. And life is, you know, life is so random like that. But, you know, in this moment I'm, I feel really lucky. Mm. And so what does the next five years look like for you? Like do you, do you work in those? Because I still very, I feel very pulled towards working in Olympic cycles. I don't know why. Like I, I still mm. kind of want to have this big goal at the end of four years. I don't know why. It makes absolutely no sense <laughs> whatsoever because I don't do anything to do with the Olympics. I'm obviously not an athlete anymore, but I still kind of benchmark things in four-year cycles. Like, So what what do you see in the next four to five years for you? Do you look that no, far ahead? No. <laughs> I, I suppose for me and the kids, it's just about, you know, they're going to be starting school. So um, just making sure that, you know, they're right to go. And um, I guess, yeah, that's it really. Like work is work. You know, I love the WNBL. So I'll be hopefully still, you know, trying to push that along and the WNBL will be in a much better situation than it is in currently. I think that's really exciting and something that sort of, well, that's something that drives me definitely. Um, so, and that, you know, I'm passionate about it too. So it's like really easy to sit here and work long days on on that. I don't long for anything anymore. Like I feel really content mm. um, just with how things are and I don't, like I said before, I don't really... Uh, have any like driving ambition to rule the world or anything I just want my kids to be happy and safe and healthy you know and what because you know obviously you've had kind of a complicated relationship I guess with your sport with injury and the highs and the lows and the stresses and the emotions of of all of that with that experience would you want your boys to be in sport Absolutely. The sport itself, I loved, you know, basketball, what it gave me was, you know, something that nothing else in this world could have given me, you know, and I loved it. Mm. Um, I loved being on the court. I loved nothing more than getting out the back and shooting and just just loving it. It was just, I think, the injuries and the circumstance Mm. and and myself, you know, that um, the, the mindset that sometimes got me down and, I, if my kids wanted to play sport, I would be driving them wherever they need to go. I'll be coaching them. I'll do whatever. I think um, having a mum like me would be able to definitely offer them some life tips, basketball tips. Yeah. Um, but I think too, just being able to see the risk, you know, the risks as well and being able to sort of give them advice on handling different situations and, and stuff. So I think that, yeah, I think I definitely would push them into sport. I already have Harry and Aussie hoops, so. Oh, awesome. No hope, really. <laughs> you're like, you're going to be in, into basketball at least a little bit. <laughs> be an NBA player, darling. So. <laughs> Look, mummy's going to write this goal on the wall for you and we're just going <laughs> to stick it here and you can just work towards it. It's fine. <laughs> this man here is Michael Jordan. This one's LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. I just want you to be like them. You can be like them and that would be great. <laughs> Yeah. Or you could be like mummy and be awesome as well. <laughs> um, I could talk to you for ages, Lauren. Thank you so much for your time. But I think I just wanted to finish with one question because I think for a lot of athletes out there, the idea of retiring with injury 
is really mm. confronting because I think the ideal is to finish on a high and finish, you know, with a gold medal or a championship win or, or um, you know, the absolute pinnacle of your career. And the reality yeah. for so many athletes out there is that is not going to happen and it never happens as we necessarily want, like very few happen in that way. Yeah, the dream, yeah. Yeah, so what would your – advice be to people out there who might be athletes who are confronted with injury and the prospect of retiring or just anybody who is kind of confronted with a situation which wasn't what they anticipated and having to kind of pivot with this news, I guess. I just, first of all, I mean, I would just say that that's life. I mean, it's life. Nothing ever goes to plan. And everything happens for a reason. Like there's always something on the horizon, you know, and I think that that, you know, never to to get too down on yourself. I think retirement is a really scary prospect for any athlete. I've got, you know, one of my closest friends is Sue Bird. She's in the WNBA. She's 40 years old. She's still playing and playing really well. You know, she's just remarkable. And um, I mean, I've had conversations with her around my retirement, um, about how she's doing, where she's at. And, it's different for everybody. Everybody has different challenges. And even if it, even if I was playing to this day, I know that I wouldn't be the person that I am right now, as happy as I am. So I think that, you know, all in all, things happen for a reason and life puts you where you need to be at that point in time. I, I would just say hang on to that, like know that there's something to come, like mm. better things that are to come. Being an athlete is great. It's, you know, when you're in it, you can't imagine being out of it. But when you are out of it and you really, you know, you embrace it, it's better than you could have ever imagined. So mm, that yeah. it can be better than you ever imagined. Yeah. That's such a beautiful point to end on. Thank you so much for your time. It was um, really, for me, super enlightening and to see someone who had achieved so highly in her sport and then create this life that you're wanting to live and the calmness and the the joy mm. and the contentment that you've got in your life now is just so both heartwarming and inspiring. So thank you. Thank you very much. No, it's, and you know what, I love following you as well and seeing what you're doing too. It's, yeah, I don't so much talk about the bad stuff that happens and the hard mm. challenging times, but they definitely are. Mm. And it makes me, it actually helps me as well being able to see that from you, from everybody. Like I think being able to share our experiences is so important. Yeah. And, um, you know, just knowing that we're not alone. Like, Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. Lauren. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode with Lauren Jackson. She is such a fascinating person to me. She was such an incredible athlete. She was absolutely destined to be a basketball player. I, I really engaged with her journey of not f- like she loved what she did, but she found it really hard. And a lot of the external things she found really hard to do with her sport and coming into retirement and coming into parenthood She's, it's like she's come home to herself. She's created a life that she loves and I really resonated with that and I hope you did too. Um, but DM me if you have an idea of someone you'd like me to chat to at All That Glitters Pod uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.